Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, that's good. Charlie O'Connor here with the second episode of Other Stuff. I know the first episode we decided we're going to call it Other Shit, but I just don't know if that would be something we could put on BroadStreetHockey.com and on our podcast feed as the actual title for the show. So we're going with Other Stuff. And last week we had Bill Matz on, and he talked us through uh, the Highlander movie and, uh, and Streetlight Manifesto's album, uh, Somewhere in the Between. Uh, and we just, if you're, if you're a new listener to this show, basically what we do is one person picks a movie the other person hasn't watched, and the other person picks an album the other person hasn't listened to, and then we just talk about it for however long it takes to talk about it. So this week, instead of Bill Matz, I'm bringing in Kelly Hinkle, also from Broad Street Hockey Radio. Kelly, thanks for coming. It's me, and I also love other stuff. Other so stuff is, is good. Show for me. Other stuff is good. <laughs> I mean, we it can always... be bad, but it, it also can be good. It's true. And we always forget about other stuff when there's hockey happening. So now we get to talk about the other stuff. Because there's no hockey happening. No, it died. All we have is other stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, Kelly, thanks so much for uh, you know, for coming on the show. And hopefully this will be a, a recurring thing. We're, the, the plan right now, just, for, uh, just to let our listeners know, is just basically Bill's going to come on one week and Kelly's going to come on the next. And then maybe at some point we'll filter other people in. But at this point, I'm going to be your host of other stuff every week. And the second person will be one of Kelly or Bill. And this week it is Kelly Hinkle who brought with us or brought to us a movie. She was picking the movie since I picked the movie for the first episode for Bill with the Highlander. I said, Hey, why don't we do it where Kelly brings the movie and I am the one who brings the album. So the movie that Kelly chose, which I think people might be mildly surprised that I've never seen, um, is the movie Snatch, uh, the Guy Ritchie-directed movie, uh, released in 2000. Uh, it was his second movie, but this, Kelly, this is like, this was his big one, right? This is the one that, like, first kind of put him on the map, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it at this point, I think it's kind of like in the whole, like, cult classic kind of equally with Lockstock in Two Smoking Barrels, which was his okay. first one. Um but this one was definitely, I think, more of a commercial hit than the first one was. Okay. Yeah, I, I have seen Lockstock. I saw that in college, mm-hmm. and I, re- I remember that movie well. Um, when It was funny. When, uh, when Kelly suggested this, like, have you seen Snatch? And I was like, you know, I think I have, but I don't remember any of it because I'm pretty sure it was, like, one of those, like, we all get back from the bar in college one night. Somebody put Snatch on, but we're all just talking and not really paying attention <laughs> and also drunk. So I remembered nothing about the movie. And within the first five minutes of turning this movie on, I watched it on uh, on Monday night. I realized that if I did see this movie, I certainly didn't remember any of it. So even <laughs> if I have seen this before, this absolutely was the first time I really watched this movie. So I will now, because... I think most people listening probably have seen it, but there I'm sure there are some people who haven't. So oh, yeah, to kind of yeah, so to kind of set the stage, I will turn the mic over to Kelly, who can kind of run through like a ble- a brief plot description of the movie Snatch, and we can use that sort of as our intro into talking about it. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to make this as concise and easily understood as possible because Snatch is one of those movies. Um, I feel like everyone has probably seen Pulp Fiction. So the idea of having, you know, a bunch of storylines kind of happening at the same time in a movie, and then they kind of overlap at some point. Like in Pulp Fiction, how that happens, it's kind of what happens in Snatch as well, except there's only really two stories going on. Um, There's a story about a diamond heist, 
that happens. And then there's also a story about a boxing promoter and a bookie who kind of conspire to fix a fight. And that all kind of goes wrong. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the the main thrust of the story. So in that storyline, um, there's a guy named Turkish and his friend Tommy. Um, they are essentially hired to find someone to f- replace a boxer that could no longer fight because he was knocked out by the guy they end up finding. So what happens is... It's a guy named Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George is going to participate in this fixed fight. Um, They go to buy a caravan, which is what they call uh, like mobile homes in this movie. And I guess in England. So they're going to buy a mobile home. Uh, Gorgeous George gets into a fight with this guy called Mickey, Brad Pitt. Um, Mickey knocks out Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George can't fight. So Turkish and Tommy kind of try to get Mickey in to throw the fight. He's supposed to. He doesn't. As a result, everything gets pretty wild. Um, they kill his mother. He is... I'm trying to remember how it all ties together. Um, and then uh, concurrently to all of this, so um, a guy named Frankie Four Fingers steals a big, huge diamond and is trying to move this diamond. Um, a couple of robbers that are sort of like peripherally involved in this suggest that someone steals it from him. That happens. Eventually the diamond ends up being in a dog. It's a wild ride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as, essentially the idea is kind of in the spirit of Pulp Fiction. Um, you've got these two kind of criminal storylines going on. Everything is kind of serious and heavy, but also quite funny. Um, so like, obviously it's terrible that Brad Pitt's mom gets killed. They set her caravan on fire and she dies, but also you laugh a lot during this movie. So it's kind of like a strange thing, but I feel like, don't you kind of think that Pulp Fiction is like that too? Like there's bad stuff happening, but a lot of it is kind of hilariously funny. So it's like a up and down kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely can see it. Like there, there obviously is like a humor element to Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say like, I I don't want to, there are definitely movies that I feel like desperately try to be Pulp Fiction. Like the, I think like, like Boondock Saints probably is one like, just like some of like, there's like a stylized sense where like, there were a lot of people really trying to copy off Tarantino, I think during this period but like i when i was watching this movie i didn't feel like this was copying off of tarantino like this oh felt, yeah this no. felt unique yeah i definitely don't think that he was trying to do that i just kind of thought that it might be an easy way to explain it to people because i feel like everyone's seen that movie but yeah. um the thing that so this is one of my favorite movies it's 1a or 1b depending on the day um and one of the reasons is i really like guy Ritchie. Um, as kind of like, I don't want to say like an auteur because I feel like that's a little bit haughty for someone like Guy Ritchie, but I do like his style of films. I like the way that he directs. It's very jumpy and exciting and cuts and all that kind of stuff that is fun. Um, but it's definitely his, it's, it's a very distinctive, like when you see a Guy Ritchie movie, I feel like you know you're watching a Guy Ritchie movie. The same way with Tarantino, you know you're watching a Tarantino movie. And for me, that's part of the appeal of directors like this is that they have a very pronounced style 
um, oftentimes a genre that they kind of work in as well. Like Guy Ritchie movies, a lot of them are heist movies. Um, so it's it's kind of just like the idea that, and I don't know if you're like this, Charlie, but like with I think you might be like this with albums the way that I am with movies, that the idea that it's not just... Like, there's someone, I like a movie where there's some one person responsible for kind of the entire thing, like a Tarantino movie, like a guy, like Guy Ritchie is. Like, this is the person that conceived the story, he wrote the story, he's directing the story. Like, this is a singular vision of one person rather than the idea of it being like, you know, someone wrote the script, someone did the cinematography, someone did the directing, like all that kind of stuff. I mean, those movies are also good as well. But for me, I kind of like taking it as a whole package and enjoying it that way. I find that I get more enjoyment from films like that than I do from ones that are kind of made in a more conventional way. Yeah, I definitely think in movies there can certainly be like a too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing um, where it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a unified whole. And Mm -hmm. I do agree like with this that you know this start to finish feels like a guy Ritchie movie and I, sure. I haven't seen all of his movies but the ones i have seen definitely have that feeling where you say it's very distinctive that this is guy Ritchie. and i think mm-hmm. that was like I, i've only watched a few like i've watched lock stock i've obviously seen the um the sherlock holmes movies mm-hmm. um i think he did a couple other crime movies but i haven't seen them um yeah. but the thing i the thing i really liked about about this um and I think this is kind of a testament to what Guy Ritchie does well in terms of how he puts the movie together, is, like, this this movie is actually... There's a lot going on. It's yeah. very complex. There's a lot of characters. And they just kind of slam yeah. them all in your face in the beginning of the movie, and you're, like, your head's spinning. Like, who are all these people? But then over the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of the movie they do a great job of kind of hooking you in with everybody to the point where like you're following by the time like 15 minutes are done, you're following everything. And that's something where like, that's not just because the characters are are fun, even though most of them are like, that's because the director did a really good job of, of making, making a complex thing accessible enough where you can keep up with it, but also not making it too accessible that it's boring. And I thought that was that was probably like my favorite part of like the technical aspect of the movie is mm-hmm. that like it easily could have been a dumpster fire of a movie. And instead it really hooks you quick and then you're following it much quicker than you thought you ever thought you were going to when you see that smash cut in the beginning where they're just throwing names on the screen and they give you like fifteen yeah. characters right in a row. Yeah, and that's I I was struggling to explain it because that is kind of the thing of it is like it is kind of hard to explain just verbally like this is what the movie is about this is how the plot goes because everything is crazy jumbly and fast but like Charlie said does a really good job hooking you into these people really quickly and also laying the story out in a way that it does make sense and then when it comes together you're like okay yes yeah I get it now yeah, and just kind of like to go back to your your comparison with Pulp Fiction, like the reason why I don't like love that apples to apples comparison is because the mm-hmm. thing with Pulp Fiction is that in a lot of ways, like that movie takes longer for you to pick up on what's going on because it's shown out of order. Like this That's movie, true. you know, for you know, it, it there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's pretty much linear. 
Like it, mm-hmm. it's there's like a start and there's a finish. Whereas in Pulp Fiction, like it's purposely made out of order, so you spend most of the movie. It's kind of like Memento. Like you spend most yeah. of the movie trying to figure out like what in God's name is going on, and then you end up just latching onto scenes. Whereas this is like very much you know a start to finish movie. It's just like at hyperspeed. That's a very good point. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, and I think that that is also kind of what makes me like this movie so much and and why it's an easy one for me to watch over and over again um is that while it is complex and you know entangled a bit it doesn't really require a lot of i don't want to say a lot of thinking but like you don't have to like have your eyes glued to the screen and like if you miss like one thing that a guy says now all of a sudden you're totally lost and you don't understand what's going on. Like there's a lot happening, but in a way that is easy, like you don't really have to try to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely stylish, but it's not trying to be like too artsy, even though I think there is a lot of artistic merit to what's going on in terms of how they're doing it. Like there are some movies, like I don't think this movie ever would have won an Academy Award, but like there's an element just because it's not the type of artsy that, that the Oscars like, but there's absolutely an element of technicality here. That's really impressive. Yeah. And, and that's kind of why I feel like Guy Ritchie doesn't get a ton of, like, no one really talks about Guy Ritchie like he's a, a super talented. I think that people think of his movie movies as, like, cotton candy fluff. Mm. And in a way, they are. But they're really, really well done cotton candy fluff that's fun and interesting. <laughs> and it's not just, it's not like a Michael Bay movie. You know what I mean? Right. Where it's just, like, boom, 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 action, action, action. But, like, nothing is really happening and there's no interesting dialogue. Like, the movies are good. They're just not, you know... They're not, as you said, high drama Academy Award movies. They're just fun, which is good, I think. Fun is okay. It's especially in this day and age. Yeah, right. Especially during this time, <laughs> fun is definitely good. Um, one thing that I really found interesting, and I guess I knew this on some level because it's not like I came into this blind. Like I knew what Snatch, mm-hmm. at least in vague terms, was about. I knew who was in it, but like there are a lot of really big name actors in this movie like obviously brad pitt's in it and he was he was big long before he was in this movie he was Mm -hmm. big throughout the 90s it's a 2000 movie but like this is jason statham before he gets big this is benicio del toro before he gets big this is vinnie jones before he was like every tough guy in every tv show and movie ever like this they did a really good job even beyond the obvious like coup of getting brad pitt to uh to play an irish traveler who is extremely hard to understand. I mean, he must have had a blast yeah. playing that role. But, um, but like, they got a lot of guys in this movie who kind of just got their start in this movie and then became much bigger as the years went along. Yeah, and, like, in addition to those guys, like, there's, like, kind of established actors that are really big. Like, Dennis Farina is in this movie. Yeah. Um, the guy that plays Bricktop, I forget his name, but I think he's a, a pretty well-known British actor. I just can't okay. remember his name. Um, I, I just think he's been in a bunch of stuff. But, like, it is it is interesting, and I'm not really sure how they went about doing it. I don't know if maybe, like, Pitt was just like, this seems fun. I'll do this for funsies because there's no way they paid him a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I could totally see that happening. It had to have been a super interesting role for him to play. Um, especially coming – this would have been, like, soon after Fight Club, I think. 
Probably, like, yeah. I, I don't yeah, I know exactly what the time like frame 99, is. Ninety-nine, I think. That like, sounds like, about right. Yeah. So you know, coming out of Fight Club, he might have just been like, "Yeah, this seems like a fun continuation of me beating the shit out of people." <laughs> <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I guess getting Pitt in this movie must must have been must have been big, and maybe it was just like. You know, sometimes these actors, especially big actors and actresses, like they just like a director. And maybe yeah. it was a case of like he saw Lockstock and was like, oh, this guy's this guy's got some good ideas. I kind of want to work with him. You know, when you're when you're in that like when you're in that spot where you can pretty much pick and choose, like sometimes it's like, yeah, you know what? I'll make my millions doing whatever rom-com I'm going to be doing next year. I'll right. I'll have some fun with 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 this one. Um, but yeah, like like Benicio Del Toro, you know, he, later this I think. This movie comes out the same year as Traffic, which is when he when he like blew yeah. up as like a serious dramatic actor. And I imagine that he was filming this long before he knew that Traffic was going to be this like critically acclaimed movie that was going to win awards. So they kind of get him right before mm-hmm. he blows up. Jason Statham becomes an action hero. And this like in this movie like it's funny watching him in this movie because he ends up becoming this like badass action hero in most of his movies and in this he's like the straight man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like he 100%. does pretty much nothing aside from talk. Mm-hmm. He's a good talker though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he's good in it. Like he's he's fun, but it's just funny because like you're used to him being the guy who fights all the time in movies, and yeah. in this movie he's just like he is like the straight man. He's like he's like the center of the movie, like the guy who yeah, kind yeah. of like everything happens to him and he has to react to it. But he's not the guy who's like going out fighting and killing people and whatnot. Yeah. So did you like it? Overall? I did. Yeah, I did. I, I I liked it a lot. Um, I I think I liked it more than what I remember. And like I saw Lockstock, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels like fifteen years ago at this point. I guess. Yeah. Um, or maybe not that long ago. Maybe more like ten, tenish, tenish years ago. I probably saw it like midway through college. Um, but I I liked this more than Lockstock. Um, for, yeah, me too. For reasons that I can't quite explain, I think I was just hooked more with this. Um, maybe I was more I was more into the characters, and that's probably a a good segue, um, kind of to do something we did for Highlander, uh, favorite character in the movie, because there are a lot of them. Yeah, I think if I had so, God, it's so hard to pick because there are a lot of them that I like for different reasons. Like I really like the dynamic between Turkish and Tommy, so okay, that kind of central to the movie. Is awesome. And, ter- and, j- and just for those who haven't watched, Turkish is Jason Statham. Yeah, yeah. Turkish is Jason Statham. I mean, so obviously I like them. Um, the 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 robbers, the guys that kind of do the actual robbing of things, are hilarious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so fun. it's hard. Not. I always. I was thinking about it, and it made me think of like I forget which cartoon movie this is that has like three penguins that are like big goofy idiots and they, they do funny things i feel like that's a thing in a cartoon movie i don't know i mean it, it might be I, I i don't know what you're talking about but i'll trust you that it existed yeah, just go with it um but they're just kind of like um like very important to the story but also provide quite a lot of comic relief um and then obviously like brad pitt's acting performance in this i think is really good so it's hard not to like him as well but if i had to, to nail it down i would say it's kind of a cop out, but I think Turkish is my favorite character. Okay, okay. I mean, he's he's good, and he, as I said, he's kind of like the straight man, and he's the one who, like, I guess, in a sense, drives the plot because he's the person yeah. you're 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 rooting for. I feel like Brad Pitt probably gets 
would get most of the votes here from people just so. because it's 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 just it's something of like an iconic role for him mm-hmm. um in or in a career of a lot of iconic roles but it's just like you can't understand a word he's saying which is mm-hmm. obviously played for comedic effect the entire movie and then he's just like such a badass in the fights yeah that like you kind of just gravitate to him as like you know he's just this unbelievable boxer that they dig up out of nowhere they literally stumble upon him yeah. um but also like then- a sweet boy that loves his mom yeah, that loves his mom. So, I mean, he's definitely up there. I actually, I liked, I liked Vinnie Jones's character a lot, just yeah. because I found I found it hilarious. Like he gets introduced, where basically he gets shot six times and then just like right. completely shakes it off, and then like he's in the middle of a hit, or they're doing it like his backstory. He's in the middle of a hit, and he just like keeps getting shot, and it's like nothing happened, and then he finishes <laughs> the hit. And um and we'll, we'll get into this when we get into to favorite scene, which I guess is it was actually the next thing we're going to talk about. So it's a good transition. Like my favorite scene in the movie is, and this is probably like probably the best scene. I would think I would think people look at this as the best scene because it's a very long one. The one that starts when everybody's driving on the same road. Everybody gets into an accident because uh, Turkish's friend throws the milk out the window. And then it ends up transitioning into a bar where the three robbers try to rob Vinnie Jones. And Vinnie, and it's just like a very like stand that that's my favorite scene. It's a very standoff scene. And Vinnie Jones is just talking. And then he like, he like slowly reveals that like, yeah, I know all the guns you guys are holding aren't real. So get out. So just get the hell out of it. And he, like, he doesn't even kill them. He's just like, I don't want to deal with you guys. Like, get out of here now or I will kill you. But you're just so ridiculous that you're not even worth my time. Like, that yeah, is my favorite. And, and then it turns into the, the hallway scene. It's like three great scenes, one right after another. You have the car accident, the bar scene, and then the hallway scene. And it's just like about like 20 to 25 minutes of just great scene after great scene. Yeah. That I mean, it's hard to, I think, pick something like actually better than that in the movie. Um, but I, like I said earlier, one of the things that I love most about this movie is just how funny it is, okay. and the scene with the three robbers in the car, and uh, what's his name? Um, oh, my mind is blanking. That's annoying. Oh, uh, the big guy the, the, that's driving. Oh, the the, the getaway driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What's he's, his name? He's his name be... is uh, Tyrone. Tyrone, that's right. So Tyrone's backing up. He's supposed to be backing up, and he hits something. And the guy's like, what are you doing? You're supposed to be looking. And he's like, it came from a weird angle. And he was like, <laughs> it came from behind you, Tyrone. When you back <laughs> up, things come from behind you. Yeah, he's the getaway driver laugh. who can't park. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me laugh so hard. Um, so I think that, for me, kind of just, like, sums up the movie really well. So they're like these bad guys doing bad things, but then also you're gonna laugh at them. Yeah, they're like for for being like small robbers, they're extremely likable throughout the movie. Yeah, like there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely people in this movie like you, like they're all criminals, but there's definitely people in this movie who you put on a level of like, okay, I'm supposed to hate them. Like Bricktop is like the big villain. You're supposed to yeah, hate yeah. him, you know, to a point. Um, I feel like you're probably not supposed to like Vinnie Jones's character or Dennis Farina's character, even though they're not like necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like pure businessmen. But you're definitely supposed you're definitely supposed to like Turkish and Tommy, and I yeah. feel like you're definitely supposed to like the robbers. Like they're they're very likable. Yeah, and also I I don't know I always found myself liking uh, Benicio del Toro's character Freddie Four Fingers for some reason I liked. Him. Yeah, <laughs> first- yeah, he's. 
He's funny. He's, yeah, he's like funny and also like extremely clearly a badass in a criminal sense. Um, but yeah, I, really, I always liked him too. Yeah, no, he's good. I mean, I mean, but also Benicio del Toro is also just a really good actor, so that helps. Yeah, he's I'm, crazy good. Yeah, like it helps. It, it helps when you have like he doesn't play a particularly large role in the movie, but he definitely steals every scene he's in, which is I think yeah. the sign of a really good actor. Agreed, for sure. So moving on to like criticisms and what doesn't age well. Um, so the one thing that I feel like has to be discussed with this movie is the the the, the Brad Pitt crew. It's basically that everybody in the movie calls them pikeys, which is apparently a slur towards Irish travelers. And it's it's interesting to me looking back at this because like. Obviously, the year 2000 is like a totally different time, especially yep. when it comes to, to these types of things. But also, like, the more the more I think about it, like, it's a criminal world. So it's hard. Like, I understand why it, why it feels authentic that Irish travelers in the world of the movie would be, like, looked down upon and why that would be said. It's just, I, I feel like if this movie was made in... If this movie was made today, I'm not sure they wouldn't use those words, but they would probably put, like, another line of dialogue in where maybe, like, Brad Pitt gives the, the main character shit for using the words or mm -hmm. something like... Like, something... Because the, the thing is, is, like, I feel like you can... You can still do that in some movies, but you have to make it clear that, like, the people using those terms are the bad guys. Yeah. And when you, and when you have, like, when you have Turkish and Tommy using it the whole movie, it doesn't really play well in 2020. So maybe, like, the way you get around that is they, like, they use it in the beginning and then they're corrected and then they stop, but then the bad guys keep using it. Like, I, I did a lot of thinking about this because, like, it definitely is one of those things that doesn't age great, but it's also, like, there is an element of world building that I can see the argument for why, like, it couldn't be removed entirely. I did not know until I read this outline that that was, like, a word that should not be used. Like, it did not—I had literally no idea that that was something that was, like, offensive to people. So, um— I mean, I didn't even know the concept of Irish travelers really existed, and I'm Irish, so— I mean, I, 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 mean, I kind of just assumed, like, I never really looked into it. So, for me, I just kind of assumed that this was, like, you know, a representation of, like, a group of, like, essentially white trash people that, you know, live in— mobile homes and like go around doing crimes to get money and or like you know fighting for money or whatever like it it didn't occur to me that there was like a a cultural or like a national like I didn't it didn't occur to me that it was anything having to do with them specifically being Irish and specifically living in mobile homes and going around yeah being like no but it's mess. interesting yeah. to know like I mean it's I mean it's good to know these things that things are bad um, but I, I kind of agree that, I mean, not to, I hate that I keep going back to Tarantino, but it feels like easy. Um, he obviously gets into a ton of trouble for this even now. Um, yeah, and yeah. clearly doesn't give a shit because for him, like, and I, I get the argument, like he is not saying the bad things. The actors are not saying the bad things. The character that is a piece of shit or living in, you know, 1830 or whatever, they're saying the bad things. 
And it makes sense that they're saying the bad things because they would have said them had we taken a camera and gone back in time to see these characters. That's what they would be doing. Um, So I kind of feel like in that sense, this is kind of the same thing. Like, I feel like in this world, like you said, no one would not call them that. So it would be, it would probably just like lend, you wouldn't be as sucked into a world that you're not a part of if they're not representing that world in a realistic way, in my opinion. So I I just, yeah. It's an interesting debate. And as I said, like the big thing for me is that, and I think Tarantino generally does this where like, he makes it like generally speaking the characters who use those words aren't the characters you're supposed to sympathize with like looking right, at like yeah. at like at like Django like i think like uh like Chris Avalt's character like i don't know if he ever uses the n word in the movie because he's like supposed to be someone you're rooting for you know he's right, he's right. Django's partner like he actually views him as a human being whereas the people who are using it are the ones you're supposed to hate and believe are terrible because they are and i think like that maybe is the one thing that if you do this movie today maybe you make that slight tweak where it just makes it so it's less you know the 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 characters who are clearly the good guys or at least the good guys in relation to the people you're supposed to be rooting against aren't the ones saying that yeah i just didn't so if like i came across an irishman in an RV, and I called him a pikey. <laughs> I would get like slapped in the face. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's like an, I, don't know. I think it's like it's like an English and like a like a UK and Ireland type of subculture. I'm guessing because I'm, like obviously not obviously not every Irish person you know roams around the country yeah. in caravans. No, right? I haven't <laughs> seen you. I've never seen you in a caravan. Um, yeah, it feels kind of it. It does feel very much like how they call people like Geordies, like different people that live in different regions of the UK have different like yeah like their names that are obviously like rooted in you're making fun of them for something or you're looking down on them for some reason but it doesn't seem like like I don't think anyone would get canceled in London if they called someone a Geordie because they were from that particular part of England you know what I mean yeah like yeah, I, I, I just think it's that. I think it's like a a a step down terribleness wise from the words that we don't use anymore um generally as like normal human beings but i mean it is it is i think an important thing to think about it is hard though when you watch even movies from 10 years ago like there's just a lot of stuff that would not get made now yeah Um, well even tv even tv shows oh yeah for sure you know I think a lot of people are seeing that now when, you know, we're all binge watching everything because we're bored Mm -hmm. out of our minds and like going back through like old comedies and seeing like not even like super old comedies, like comedies from the 90s and the early 2000s and just some of the jokes that like are in those comedies that that at that time were just like, yeah, that that's acceptable to be in comedy. And now today, if you put that in a comedy, you get destroyed because it's just it, it the the. The, the, the lines of what people, of, of what, I guess, the culture in general is now accepting as, like, acceptable to joke about have changed. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It's just interesting how, like, you know, some a joke that could easily be made on a network TV show in the mid-90s um, now would never, ever make it past, you know, just the, the screenwriters. Because they would never yeah. even think to make a joke that would, would go, would cross that line. 
Yeah, I have a lot of complicated feelings about stuff like this, but it's hard, I think, to communicate complicated feelings in a way that won't get you yelled at by yeah. people on the internet. So I usually just don't express them. But I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad that we don't do certain things. I mean, obviously, some things are, like, objectively good. It's extremely good that we don't call people the N-word anymore. Let's not, like, mince words. Like, that's very good. No one should be going back on that. But, like, I don't know. I've never watched a Seinfeld episode and felt, like, threatened as a woman because, you know, Newman makes some kind of misogynist joke that was fine in 1997. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I yeah, just, like, I, Yeah, I mean, you know I certainly I mean? don't like, think that, like... Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think that, like, we should retroactively cancel Seinfeld. I just, I, I guess for me, and this is partially because, like, I was a history major in college. Yeah. Just the, 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 the changes over time when it comes to cultural norms. I guess that, that always fascinates me. It and, is like, I'm obvious, I'm, I'm obviously, like, privileged in the sense that I'm, like, a, a white dude. So I, I don't, like, the, the types of jokes that are no longer culturally acceptable, like they don't impact, they never impacted me. So mm -hmm. it's, I, I can, I have the ability to look at it from, you know, like a, a wide third person type view, but just from like a historian's perspective, that type of stuff's always, always fascinated me. How it is super interesting. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where it goes in like 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Will we be absolutely. allowed to make jokes? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I, I know think if we, we will be allowed. be allowed to make jokes. I think so. Um, so kind of to close out the, the movie discussion, um, I think we talked a little bit at the start about the idea mm -hmm. of, uh, I think you mentioned about the idea of Snatch being a cult classic. And yeah. it's kind of perfect because the first movie we did for the show, Highlander, I did with Bill, is also absolutely qualifies as a cult classic. You know, it has this yeah. diehard following that is obsessed with it. It became a TV show and everything. But in the Highlanders case, I feel like it's mostly a cult because, like, it's one of those, like, so bad it's good movies where yeah. it's so poorly made in all the right ways that it's just fun to watch and people just got into it because of that. Like, right. not quite on the level of, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, but, like, same concept behind it. Yeah. Whereas, like, Snatch feels different to me in that it's, like, number one, it's it's not one of those so bad it's good movies. Like, it's actually a good movie, but mm -hmm. it also absolutely qualifies as a cult movie. So just kind of curious your thoughts on, like, what makes a cult movie. Yeah, I thought a lot about this, and it's it's weird because I feel like there are, like, a bunch of different goalposts that you could kick a movie through that would make them, like you said, like the Highlander and, like, this movie, equally cult classic-y, but, like, different cults and for different yeah. reasons. But one of the things that I kind of think is absolutely necessary is it's the kind of movie that people want to go back and watch again. Like, there are okay. a lot of movies that I see, have seen that I have really loved watching that are excellent movies, good in every way, but I never think to myself, like, hey, I'd like to go back and watch this movie. Like, for example, one the most recent one that I can think of is um, that movie 1917. Okay. I went and yeah, I went no, and I saw that. that yeah, I went and saw it. It was like objectively well done. It was beautifully shot. The acting was fantastic. Everything about it was good. I don't think that I will ever think to myself, "Hey, it's a Thursday night. Nothing's on TV. Maybe I'll watch 1917." Like I'm never gonna want to watch that movie again. Yeah. Out of nowhere, and I feel like a cult classic kind of needs to be something that not only people enjoy watching over and over again, but they kind of every now and again it pops into their head that they might like to watch this movie again. And also I think 
there has to be something in the movie that stupid people like us on Twitter can reference. Like little snippets okay. that you can pull out and you can use them in like general pop culture situations to reference them and make jokes about other things. And the Highlander, definitely you do that. Um, but this one too, like there's that stupid gif of Brad Pitt saying, do you like dogs? Like that's everywhere. And it's like, oh, a, shit. It's like that, yeah, right. right. It's, that like, is a where no, this is it's like a little okay. nothing thing, but it's just like something that there, there has to be something that grabs people um, and makes them think of that little thing in response to other things, if that makes sense. No, I absolutely think it does. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely like, like I, I, one one movie like that for me that I've seen probably 15 times, if not more, just because whenever it's on, I have to watch is the uh, the like objectively bad remake of Gone in 60 Seconds with uh, <laughs> Nicolas Cage. And okay. like, it's not a good movie, but every time it's on, I have to watch it. And like, there's a bunch of scenes in that movie that are quotable and that you could like turn into a gif and throw yep. on Twitter. And like, I would never in a million years be like, this is this like amazing artistic movie, but it God damn, if every time it's on television, I don't set aside the hour and a half to watch it. Like, same with A Knight's yeah. Tale with with um, with um Heath Ledger. Like, same thing. Like, not a great movie. Watch it every damn time it's on. I mean, that's me and Twister and National Treasure. There must be something about Nick Oh, Cage National movies. Treasure. National Treasure's great. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I don't know. I don't... Na- so, go ahead. No, I'm not sure if National Treasure qualifies as a cult movie because, like, it did make a shitload it of did. money. Yeah, and it got a sequel and everything. But, like... I don't, and the, the other thing is, I don't think that anyone can like ever set out to make that kind of movie. Yeah, like, I it, agree with it's that. just something that happens organically, and I don't even know if anyone could figure out why. Like, I don't think there's like a thing. It's like you know, making a viral tweet. Like, if you set out to make a viral tweet, you're probably not going to make one. It's just got to be some random shit that comes out of your head that, for some reason, people catch on to. And it's the same thing with cult movies. Just for some reason. In any number of these movies, there's just something that grabs people and makes them recall it in their brain over and over again for any number of reasons. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So uh, final final thought on, on Snatch, I would say it's definitely other stuff approved. Kelly, Kelly is Kelly obviously is a fan, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Excellent. So other stuff, other stuff approved. I like this. Other stuff approval. That's good stuff. Other stuff. Other stuff approval. So now <laughs> we'll move to uh, to the music hab. That was actually we 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 spent quite a while talking about snatch. I'm happy. I'm happy it uh, it took that long because there is no we have no uh, no time frames on this. This this could go. It could be a uh, a short podcast if we just don't have a lot to say about a movie or album, or it could be flyperly style length. So I think this, <laughs> this might not quite make flyperly style length, but we're we're going to talk. I think a fair amount about uh, so. about this. Yeah, about this album, because we spent about like 35 or so minutes on uh, on Snatch. Um, so the album that I picked for this week, um, definitely because it was it was timely, uh, was uh, Welcome Interstate Managers by Fountains of Wayne. Uh, came out in 2003, so it's, uh, it's pretty old. And uh, when Kelly and I were going back and forth on what album I was going to recommend, it just kind of hit me that, like, obviously this is very timely because, uh, you know, one of the band members, Adam Schlesinger, who was one of the two main songwriters in the band, he passed away uh, due to coronavirus last week and was one, I think, maybe one of the first, like, really big names. And sadly, I think we're, we're going to have 
a fair amount more of these that that come out over the next you know weeks and months. But it was it was very jarring because like he's only he was he was only like 52 years old, so it wasn't even a case of you know him necessarily being in a super at risk section of the population. It just came out of nowhere because you know 17 years I guess is a long time ago, but it's not that long ago that you know the 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 main reason why this was their big album was because this is the album with Stacy's mom on it, which was their big hit, the song they're remembered for, and. It just doesn't feel that long ago when that was totally and completely on the uh, you know, on the airwaves, and you heard you know that entire year pretty much. Yeah, and um, I I know we're gonna get to it, but I had not heard a single other song from this album apart from Stacy's mom, and I hated Stacy's mom. Right, like we all. <laughs> Some at some point we all decided that we hate the song, and I think it. I think it's just because they played it so much. But like, it's actually kind of a banger. Yeah. Oh, it's it's definitely a bop. <laughs> it's kind and of like a really great song. You know, it's it, it's interesting, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit later. But it's interesting about pop music. I feel like that in the early two thousands there was still. I think that like stigma against like if a song got too much radio play, it must not be that good. Yeah. And I feel like like one of the really good things that I have as as a big time music fan, like I have my issues with the whole poptimism movement because I think there's a lot of like bad pop music that we've just mm-hmm. decided, well, if it's popular, it must be good. And I think there still needs to be like a degree of critical thought that needs to be put into like, no, not every song that's on the radio is inherently good because a lot of people listen to it. But I think one of the really good things about Poptimism is that like a song like this, that a lot of people probably just wrote off because it was on the radio is actually like a really well-made pop song and maybe deserved more, maybe respect isn't the right word, but like, it's a good song. And and I think over the last 10 years, we've become more accepting of like, hey, this is a pop song that isn't, like, super deep, but it's just a really good pop song, and I think that one absolutely qualifies. Yeah, I would agree 100%. It's actually quite okay, a good so, song. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun. It's a fun song. Um, so as Kelly did the, like, kind of brief plot description on Snatch, I will do kind of, like, backstory on, on Welcome Interstate Managers, um, just so people kind of, like, know where the album came from and to set the stage. Because one thing, I mean, I'm a huge music fan, but I do think, like, every album has its own story, mm-hmm. even aside from, like, the music on the album. You know, there's, like, how it was made, where the where the people were, you know, in the lead-up to it, the business aspect of it. So the, the, the backstory for this album actually is fairly fascinating to me for a few reasons um obviously this is their big album it wasn't their only one they released uh two before this one and then two after um but this was the one that that broke them as big as they would get pretty much almost entirely because of stacy's mom um sure it was the one that sold the most and uh like before this album they were something like a they were something like a cult band you know they're the album that came out before this uh utopia parkway it was critics really liked it. I think it got generally good reviews, but it just didn't didn't make too much noise. You know, I don't think anything really got on the radio and didn't pick up a huge fan base. But like the fans that it did pick up uh, were really, really into them. You know, they were really loyal to them. And then obviously they broke with with Stacy's mom. But, you know, it's funny, like I didn't know pretty much any of this. I knew they had released other albums. I didn't know pretty much any of these details before I started doing research for the podcast. But it's, I was surprised at how much the story of this album and the story of the band at to this point in their career, it parallels my favorite band who is Jimmy Eat World. Um, the similarities actually were pretty striking. So 
they get started, they get immediately signed to a major label, um, which was Atlantic Records. Jimmy World was immediately signed to Capitol um, before they released their what was their second album in in reality, but more or less was their first album. Um, okay. And they kind of because they were on a major label in the late '90s. They were sort of stuck in that and talking about Fountains of Wayne and Jimmy, but they were sort of stuck in this weird middle ground between like they're on a major, so they're not really acceptable to like the hardcore indie rock people, but they weren't breaking through on pop radio either. So they really didn't have like a section that was championing them, championing them. Mm -hmm. Um, So they get dropped by Atlantic after Utopia Parkway and they go and they record Welcome to State Managers completely on their own dime. They go in the studio, they record the whole album on money they'd saved and whatnot, uh, which, again, similar to what happened with Jimmy World of Bleed American. They got dropped after Clarity, recorded Bleed American on their own dime. And then just like Bleed American with the middle blows them up, Welcome to Your State Managers blows up because after they make it, they shop it around the labels and Virgin Records picks it up, and then Stacy's Mob becomes this big hit. Um, apparently, I was doing some reading, apparently it became big primarily because like the president of MTV just decided that the song was great and that MTV <laughs> needed to play it a lot. And like it wasn't getting a ton of airplay on radio until MTV just started pushing the hell out of the Stacey's mom video. Wow. And then it went from there, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's just all you need is just that one right fan and that could make you. Um, so they never really get this big again. Um, you know, they, they released a couple albums after this and none of them had anywhere near the culture impact of, of Welcome to Your State Managers and Stacey's mom. So they kind of go down as like sort of a one hit wonder band, but one thing about them is like I think they do have a lot of other really good songs. So, you know, maybe in the general consciousness they're a one hit wonder band, but they they have a lot of really good stuff. And this album, I think, you know, I really like it. Um just because it's funny. I bought this album when it came out, like on the strength of Stacey's mom. I remember remember buying it the year it came out. And I remember liking it, but I never remember loving it. You know, it mm-hmm. was just an album. You know, it was it was in my rotation. I'd listen to it sometimes, but it was just there. And you know, after after Schlesinger passed away, I I still have it saved on my computer, so I'm, I'll give it another listen. And I was amazed at how many of the lyrics I remembered. Like I probably remembered ninety, if not ninety five percent of the lyrics on these on these songs, of an album that I'm sure I hadn't listened to start to finish in ten years at least maybe longer. And I think that really speaks to just how good of an album this is from a pure pop music standpoint. Like a lot of people called Schlesinger and then um, Chris Collingwood, who's the other main songwriter for Fountains of Wayne, uh, pop genius, you know, after news of, of his passing broke. And honestly, it, it, it works because like this guy could really, really write a pop song, obviously Collingwood as well. But it's just like, you know, the the melodies are really, are really, really memorable. The lyrics are memorable. It's just, it, it's shocking to me how good these guys, you know, in Collingsworth's case are, and in Schlesinger's case were, at just writing good, catchy pop music that isn't, that isn't so dumb that, like, there's a fine line between clever and dumb, I think, in pop music. And this, this stuff, this album absolutely falls in the line of clever. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, I and I know that, Stacy's mom isn't that deep. Um, ew, that sounded gross. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not that deep of a song. But the rest of the album is, like, you know, as far as, and I know we're going to get into it, as far as, like, themes go, um, it goes pretty deep. Like, it gets a, a little bit heavy theme-wise, even though the songs themselves 
don't often really get kind of like downbeat or heavy. The songs themselves are mostly upbeat. And if you're not listening to the words, it's like fun and happy. But the themes of uh, the album, I think, kind of go a bit deeper than you would expect from the album that has Stacy's mom on it. At least for me, yeah. it did. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And it kind of goes into like something that I... I'm I'm a big album person. Like I am mm-hmm. I'm such an album person and I'm very much someone who, you know, listens to the lyrics, you know, tries to read along with the lyrics if I have time when I'm listening to an album for the first time just so I don't miss anything. And I'm always trying to figure out like okay, you know, just beyond the individual songs, like is the artist or the band trying to make like some sort of overarching statement? And like this album absolutely is not like a rock opera. It's not like it's telling like a narrative story with recurring characters or anything, but like there's absolutely recurring themes that pop up on this album. And if you listen to it all the way through and and you're missing like what is really, if you're paying any bit of attention to it, like there's a real anti-corporate, like work is draining the life out of all of us type of theme that mm-hmm. pops up on probably like 80% of the songs. And yeah it's really hard to miss once you notice it because it's everywhere. And it's kind of cool because like, again, Stacy's mom is a very, you know, in your face. This is what it's about. It's about having a crush on your friend or your neighbor, or your girlfriend's mom. I don't know who like, the, Oh, it is the girlfriend, right? Because it's like Stacy yeah, or, yeah. or like another girl in the, uh, you know, in the neighborhood or whatever. But like, then there's a bunch of songs that are, you know, kind of masked by this, like, like, comic sense the sense of humor but they're very much like god work life is completely soulless and all i really want is to like actually have something pure in my life that isn't bullshit work and it pops up a lot and it really kind of links the whole thing together Mm -hmm. one of the things i found was interesting um was that like i i don't think that um when someone's writing a song that it needs to be written from their voice. I think a lot of people kind of fall into that trap where like, yeah, like the, the lead singer singing this song, that means that the song is in their voice as opposed to like when someone writes a novel, it can be like the narrator could be anybody. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that someone writing a song needs to be writing a song as though they're telling a story from their own point of view. But um, I did find it interesting that it was very much like, the protagonist of this album, if you want to call it that, is like a high school student, like someone who is young, I think. Um, and I found that kind of interesting because I'm assuming these guys were in their 20, like mid 20s, they would have been when they wrote this album. Yeah, that sounds right. I I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting. Like it bounces in terms of like where... I guess the protagonist, because I don't, I don't think it's like one individual protagonist. I think it's like a bunch of almost different like character sketches. Yeah. But there's definitely like, it definitely kind of bounces back and forth between like songs that are very clearly from like the teenage perspective. Like you mm-hmm. have like Stacy's mom absolutely is from like the teenage perspective. Um, I think like Fire Island is pretty much about like reminiscing about just partying on an island while the parents are gone. Um but then there's other songs like you have like, you know, like Bright Future and Sales, like very clearly like a dude in like his 20s or 30s who's like a salesman and just is also has also like a major drinking problem. Um, you know, maybe I guess you could say like all kinds of time, the football song, like it could be about high school football, but yeah. it also could be about pro football. Like That's true. It, could ki- it could kind of be about anything. So like I almost I always sort of interpret it the 
like the the very teenage-ish songs as almost like that. And again, like this is all interpretation, so yeah, I don't yeah. think like mm-hmm. it says anything's necessarily right. But I always looked at it as like the teenager songs are more like the 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 protagonist, if you're gonna say there is one, like looking back oh, and okay. being like, man, like life was so much better when it was simpler and I wasn't like pounding away in front of a computer for 10 hours a day going through all this bullshit you know okay. what i mean yeah no no and, and i don't know why i that didn't occur to me but now that you've said it it makes absolute perfect sense going along with I think, the other stuff on the album yeah and i mean i think that's one thing i love about music and about like diving into these albums is like that's like my interpretation i don't think it's necessarily the correct interpretation and yeah. it's just it's one that like to me fits and it works into like you know how i can listen to an album straight through and like be thinking about like these types of themes but it's not necessarily what the artist was going for right. at the same time i think the interpretation is still valid because it like it's consistent and it fits it's almost one of the reasons why, like, I don't necessarily love to hear artists talk in detail about exactly what they were going for for an album. Because mm. I kind of want, like, I want a little bit of those details, but I don't want all of them because I still want there to be, like, my interpretation to fill in the gray areas that are inevitably going to come from listening to, uh, you know, a 10 to 15 song album. I mean, I kind of think that most art should be that way, really. Like, there should, there should be some... I like that you call them gray areas. That's a good way to describe them. Some little bits that are filled in by the person looking at the painting or reading the novel or listening to the album. Because that, I think, is the kind of stuff that makes them good, really. Like, if it's all just laid out for you on a plate and you don't have to think about anything and you can't find any place to tie yourself into it, I don't think you form the kind of connection that makes you you know think an album is great is because you've connected to it and you can't do that if there's no space for you to do it yeah yeah i absolutely absolutely 100 percent agree there and there are definitely times where like i'll be thinking about an album and i'll have one interpretation and then like the artist or band or whatever will talk about like what the song actually meant and it's like shit (laughs) okay that makes sense but at the same time like damn i had like this whole idea in my head of like how it fit with the other songs and it was much cooler the way I thought of it, not because it's inherently cooler the way I thought of it, but because it just, it it was something I came to and it was my personal view of that song or that album or whatever. So I kind of like, I like the fact that this album, you know, there is obviously that recurring theme of like the soulless nature of work. And I put mm-hmm. in the outline, like I, at age 14, I certainly didn't pick up like <laughs> right. what is really like kind of like an anti-capitalism slant, like maybe not <laughs> capitalism in the sense that like, it's, it's like a Marx, like a Marx book, but like, there's definitely an element of like, man, I just want to go home and like be with my girlfriend. Right. And yeah. I can't because I'm slaving away for this asshole boss who like doesn't know what he's talking about anyway. And that's something that like at age 14, like, shit like my only job was like going around knocking on doors for a politician like that wasn't a job (laughs) that was just like i did it for two hours asking people around the neighborhood if they had any problems and you know if we we could help and like now when you're in your 20s and your 30s you're like shit yeah like you know trying to get through the work day and being bored out of your mind and like you know going to a meeting and having drank the night before like yeah you know that that hits right definitely hits and (laughs) it didn't hit when i was age 14 i can tell you that no, you. the world hasn't beaten you down at 14 yet. 
you still have hope. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so it sounds like you, uh, you like this album, Kelly, because this is the first time you had heard it, right? Yes, it was. Um, and this was actually, I actually really enjoyed this exercise only because I am not typically the kind of person um, that gets an album and listens to it start to finish. Except for Pearl Jam albums, I do those. Um, okay. Just because they're my favorite band, and typically when they put something out, it's been a long time, and I just want to hear it. Um, but even them, like after like a, an initial couple of listens, start to finish, I tend to like pick out songs that I like more than others, and I'll listen to those more than others. Um, and generally, with other artists, like I'll hear a song, I like that song, I'll listen to that song. I don't often take the time. Unless some, unless something like really grabs me, like um, since we're talking about pop music, like Lady Gaga, like for some reason I love her, so like I heard a couple of her songs that made me want to hear mm-hmm. more songs, so I checked out her albums. But the way that I listen to this album is generally not the way that I experience music, so it was really, it was an interesting study because it was almost like doing a close reading of a novel, like you're picking yeah. out themes and like listening to like. Even like the way the the melodies go are almost like thematic, and it was it was actually a really enjoyable. I'm glad that we're doing this. It was really enjoyable actually <laughs> to like take something that I'd never heard before and just go in cold. The first time I listened to it, I was doing a long run on Saturday, and I had it in the whole time. And there were a couple of times, and I was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." Um, there were a couple songs that lost me a little bit, and then the the second time, I was picking up things that I didn't hear before. Um, reinforce some of my favorite songs and it was just a really interesting experience and if people don't generally listen to music the way that charlie does i would recommend it it's 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 kind of neat it it makes you appreciate more kind of the artistic expression as opposed to just like this is fun music that i'm gonna listen to you you kind of get to appreciate it more as a work of art than just like something enjoyable for you to consume so I really like that. But on the whole, to answer your question, I did enjoy this album quite a lot, a lot more than I thought I would. Um, and I'll, I mean, there's several songs on this album that I'm going to listen to over and over again because I like them so much. Nice. Yeah. Nice. No, and and kind of following up what you were saying, like one thing I'm always really careful to do with um, you know, when I talk about music is like I never want to present like the way I listen to music as inherently better. Oh, no. Like I to, yeah. like to me it to me it's like like music is great I I love music I love listening to songs I love diving into albums but like I don't think like my way of listening is like you know the best way to listen like I think someone who just like loves pop music and you know listens to stuff on the radio and puts on a playlist like I think that's great and like if you're if if, if music to me to me the only wrong way to listen to music is to not have an emotional connection with it yeah. for it to just be background music. But like, if you truly have an emotional connection with, with a song or with a band or with an album, you know, whether it's an emotional ca- connection to the melody or whether it's an emotional connection to the lyrics or whatever, like that's the right way to listen to music. Like mm-hmm. music should be affecting you on a deeper level than just being in the background. And as long as you're allowing it to do that, I don't think there's a wrong way to listen or, you know, to go about, making that emotional connection it's just for me like i love albums Mm -hmm. so my emotional connection is built upon trying to like really find albums that in some way shape or form like speak to my life experiences and 
you know, whatever is going on, maybe not in my life at that time, but at some point in my life that I can attach that to. Mm -hmm. Like classic example, like my favorite album of all time is The Moon Antarctica by Modest Mouse. And that whole album is very much a like, you're trying to find your place in the universe and like the existence of God and your place in the cosmos. And like the whole album is about that. And like, I got into that album when I was in high school and like, no shit, that's the perfect album to get into when you're in high school, when like you're asking yourself all those questions all the damn time. And then like, I turn on this album and it's like an hour of just like constant, like, if God is real, he's an asshole. And like, or is God real at all? Or are people, do people actually care about each other? And it's like all these like questions that like, as an angsty teenager, you're thinking about all the damn time. And it was perfect for me. But like, that was perfect for me. It's not necessarily perfect for everyone. It was just perfect for me at that time. And Mm -hmm. to me, getting into albums is my favorite way to listen to music, but I don't think it's like the best way. That said, I would recommend it because I think it's fun and it might not be fun for everybody, but I do think it's fun to kind of play like detective and try to figure out like what the artist is trying to possibly trying to get at with the album as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I never got the sense that you thought that your way was the only way, but it is for if you're a person that doesn't do it like I am, I do think that like we're all sitting around with a whole bunch of time. Like <laughs> there are worse things that you could do is maybe if there is a, a one particular song that you like a lot and you've not listened to that entire album, like, you know, download the album, go lay in the sunshine with your earbuds in and just listen to it start to finish. And it's it's a really nice experience, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's what I tend to do. And I mean, I don't know what our summer is going to look like this year, but it's that's one thing I do during yeah. like the summer, you know, when hockey season isn't going on is I usually have a list of like 30 albums that came out that year that I want to go through. And I'll go out because my, my apartment building has like a communal rooftop deck that has been closed for the past three and a half weeks. Um, but I'll just go out there, you know, if I have a day where I'm not I don't have an article that I'm writing and I'll just, you know, have three or four albums that I'll just pull up on Spotify and listen through and, you know, try to get an idea. Because that's the thing, like to make clear with this whole idea of, you know, albums that have unifying themes, like they don't all have unifying themes. And like some albums are literally just like the artist wrote 10 songs and threw it on an album and that's it and those can be fine you can like find two or three songs in that album you love or maybe you love all 10 of them but they're not trying to make some sort of overarching point mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty obvious when i'm listening to an album like i can usually pick up by like the second or third song if there's like a unifying theme in the album and then yeah. those are the albums that i tend to stick with and then give more listens to because i'm trying to figure out like number one do i like it but number two what like what are they what's the artist trying to get at and i mean that's that's fun to me it's not fun for everybody i'm sure but it that's fun to me yeah i just think people should give it a shot sometimes it's good to do something you wouldn't normally do there we go um so cool so we went through uh kelly's thoughts and i'm glad you liked it i'm glad i didn't give you an album you hate it i'm sure at some (laughs) point during this i'm sure at some point during this like like either you or bill will get an album that you hate and i'm actually kind of intrigued to hear like that discourse i know uh, but i think fun. It's, yeah but i think it's good that uh that we started out with one that you actually like because now we can have the conversation about like the fun stuff like yes. favorite songs I, I i always hesitate to use the word best even mm-hmm. though that's kind of the way we present it because like there's like the inherent subjectivity of music but like let's just go with favorite songs favorite songs off the album i really liked uh no better place was a song okay, i really liked good. i yeah. liked um i mean i hate to use the word banger because it's so cheesy but it, i mean it was just like a <laughs> Like an 
upbeat, like enjoyable song that you can nod your head to and like, you know, just enjoy. <laughs> it was good. What's yours? Um, yeah, it's funny. Like I remember when I started listening to this album when I was still a kid, when I was 13, 14 years old, when it came out, um, 14, um, the songs I liked the most, which are still the songs that I like the most now, were all the guitar songs, mm -hmm. like the, the the real like rock songs. Because at the time, like I probably at that time, I pretty much exclusively listened to like punk rock and emo mm -hmm. and just like anything that like had good like driving guitars as the centerpiece of the song. I wasn't super into like acoustic songs or slower songs or anything. Yeah. So like all my favorite songs are the more rocking ones. So like Little Red Light, I love. Brave Future and Sales, I love. Mm -hmm. Mexican Wine, which is a little slower, which is the first song I love. Like I, I, I remember what I did of, with a lot of these was like, I would just sort of skip to the rock songs okay. and skip over the other ones, which is why I found it so interesting that I remember the lyrics of so many of the slower songs because, like, I listened to Bright Future and Sales probably a hundred times when I was a kid, and, like, mm -hmm. I'm not shocked I remember all the lyrics of that, but, like, I was shocked how well I remembered, like, Hackensack because I probably didn't listen to that too much, but the times I did, had it must have had, like, a much bigger impact on me, or at least I remembered it much better than I thought I was considering that... You know, back then, I didn't view it as one of my favorite songs in the album. If I was rating it at the time, I probably would have made it, like, a three-star song. Whereas now, I'd probably put it, like, a four-and-a-half or five-star song. Yeah, I like that song a lot, too. Hack and Sack, it's a good one. Um, so we already talked about Stacey's Mom, which I think I we agree it is It is a banger. Yeah. Even, even it's in actually retrospect, good. Yeah. <laughs> it, it qualifies as a banger. Um, what's interesting, though, about the way that they went. So... Stacey's mom was like the only song on this album that was big and it's weird going back through because there are just so many really good catchy pop songs mm -hmm. and what what the question I wanted to pose to you is what song should have been the follow-up to Stacey's mom and then after we kind of pick our personal choices I'll tell the story of what song actually was and it's actually kind of an interesting story but yeah I'm actually I will super hand the mic to, to you Kelly super pumped to hear that um what it is because I thought about this a lot and I I really didn't want to just, like, pick the song that I liked the most. Um, yeah. But, like, thinking back to 2003, I feel like I could really hear Elevator Up or Little Red Light on the radio, like, on Y100 or something, and, like, people liking yeah. them. So that I, one of those yeah, two would have made sense to me. Yeah, I could see that. It's interesting you say Elevator Up because I – so I didn't hear Elevator Up until – like a couple days ago because it wasn't on the album I had. Oh, really? It was like a, yeah, it was a bonus track. Oh. Like that was just like tacked on for like Spotify and iTunes. And I, I had bought the physical copy. So I never, I had never heard that song. Huh. Um, and it's good. It, it, it's good. But it, it was funny. Like when I saw that on the, the outline, I was like, man, like that wasn't even on the actual album, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good catchy guitar pop song. And little red light, I think, I think is a, is a really good choice. Yeah. Um, there's that like almost like, mechanical sounding guitar that runs through the the whole song that that is a really good hook and it's got a good chorus that isn't like too not too deep like it's just like very basic yeah. but i think it's like a good sing-along chorus it's a very um, catchy song yeah oh absolutely and it was that was one of my favorites like as 14 year old charlie was one of my favorites it might be my favorite song off the album um the song i think i i the more i thought about it, the more i thought might have worked is Bright Future and Sales because, so it's definitely more rocking, which I yeah. think would have fit back then. But also, like, I think in a weird sort of way, having to bleep out shit in the chorus 
might have actually helped them because like they were already like presenting themselves like Stacy's mom was kind of like a joke song yeah and then if you follow it up with like a like it's like it was sort of that like joke song but also a little edgy because it's like I'm in love with your I'm in love with your mom kind of thing <laughs> and then you follow that up with a song like you know where like teenagers are like oh there's a curse word in the in the uh, in the chorus like I don't know maybe that would have worked maybe yeah. not also I just think it's a catchy song but like I I kind of zeroed in on that that like you know 13 year old Charlie would have been like oh man they're hardcore they curse in their chorus <laughs> no I, I can see that and it's also a really good song yeah i mean it's definitely one of my favorites that's one of the big you know we talked about the the theme of like work sucking yeah. and sucking the life out of you like that's a song that really hammers that home because that's about um it's basically about a salesman who has a drinking problem and mm -hmm. like hates his job and hates his life and like the whole chorus is basically i'm going to get my shit together because he knows he's drinking too much and like you know sitting at the part of port authority basically just like you know either hung over or still drunk and has to get to the next city for a sales thing and like it's a cool song because like it's actually pretty deep but then you have like a kind of a, a goofy chorus that i think people would have liked so that was my choice okay. now the the song they did choose um was mexican wine they chose Mexican huh. Wine as a second as a second single, which I don't think was necessarily a bad choice. Like it's a catchy song, um, it's got a good chorus. It's a little slower, so it's not like too punky, which maybe Bright Future and Sales was. Um, but apparently, what happened, and I had no idea of this. Apparently, what happened was they threw out the music video, and the music video had like like one part of the music video. There's like a bunch of kids singing "Have Another Glass of Mexican Wine." And apparently that inspired the record label after like some controversy to like pull the video. Really? So they pulled the video because like, I think like one of the band members was like, number one, there was like one of the band members was taking like a body shot off of like a model in the video, which in retrospect, like, why would you pull that? Like, that's what like was happening in like every single hip hop video at the time. Yeah, right. But then also it was like the kids singing about drinking. And apparently that like pissed somebody off. And they pulled the video. Wow. And that, like, killed their entire momentum. They didn't really have a follow-up single. And then they put out Hey Julie as the third single, which I think would have probably worked really well as a third single. But as a second single, I don't think it works. That is a kind of a crazy story. Yeah, and, like, because the whole thing, like, they got they got so much hype from MTV from for Stacey's mom. Yeah. Like, they lost their main avenue of, like, being big. And they, because they didn't have the, they didn't have the video on on rotation, and then it just kind of petered out. Huh. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I would have chosen that song just because. I don't know the, the slowness of it. I think. Yeah. It. The, I just think there were better options, but I mean, it's it's not a bad song, but better. I mean, options. I definitely think there are better options. I yeah. I I like your I like the idea of Little Red Light because I, as I said, I think that might be my favorite song on the whole album. Um, I like Bright Future and Sales, but yeah, like I, I'm sure what they were probably thinking was that like Stacy's mom isn't that fast either. Oh and, yeah, like, this is not you know, really. There's like an element of like slower songs can be more poppier if they have a big chorus, and I guess they thought that had a big enough chorus. Mm. But I like, like I like the song a lot. It obviously didn't work as a single. I, I do wonder if it might have worked as a single if it would have stayed in you know, MTV and MTV 2s rotation though. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to bet that if they got the same rotation as they did, or even God, like half as much as they got for Stacy's mom, yeah. it would have worked. Because I mean, honestly, I think that's why 
we collectively all decided that Stacy's mom sucked is because it was on everywhere all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it just yeah, got to be yeah. a lot. And it sticks yeah, in your I mean, head, there's... which is actually like, oh, yeah, absolutely. you know, the mark of a good pop song that it sticks in your head, but after a while it drives you fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, looking back to 2003, I feel like, do you think that like pop songs back then were more unavoidable? Because I feel like they were. Maybe yeah. it was just a stage of our. Maybe it was just a stage of our life. But I feel like radio was a bigger deal, mm-hmm. and just like you heard stuff. Whereas now, I don't know. Like now that we're kind of in the streaming era, I feel like we consume music a little bit differently. Yep. You know, we we consume music by via playlist almost. Whereas back then. I feel like we mostly concern consume music via radio and like what we heard out at like bars and stuff oh and, for sure and i don't know if we do that as much anymore so i don't know if like it would have been possible to like run stacy's mom into the ground now as much as we did back then no i i agree 100 there was a time that the i mean popular music was essentially selected for us like Mm-hmm. Like the MTV guy really liked the song, so they put the video on, and now the song's popular. And you listen to the radio because, like, you didn't have a CD player everywhere, and that was the way that you consumed music otherwise was on a CD. Like, it was a very, like, physical time. Like, you had to have the things and the stuff and the devices to listen to the things. So if you were in the car, you were listening to the radio, or if you were, like, at the beach, you would have, like, a little radio with you, and you would play songs, and it would be what was on the radio is what you're yeah, listening yeah. to. So it was definitely, I think, harder to avoid what other people had decided was pop music, whereas now we, you know, cultivate our own radio stations, essentially, and listen to the things that we choose and might never hear a quote-unquote pop song because we don't listen to pop music so it never comes across us ever which i don't know if if that's good it might be bad yeah i mean i'm sure it has its good and its bad things it's just it's just interesting to me because i was thinking about that when you were saying that like you know we all just kind of burn out got burned out on stacy's mom and now looking back like it's a lot better than i remember because i'm not sick of it anymore and it's just interesting because there aren't that many songs yeah like over the last couple of years that I would say like I got sick of like the only song I can think of last year that like was truly like, ubiquitous for a while was um, Old Town Road mm. and like that's legitimately the only one I could think of that got to the point where I was legitimately getting like I actually I liked the song but I was getting sick of it by yeah. like, the end of last summer but aside from that like I can't I can't tell you another song that I felt like was played so much that I like a lot of pop songs like I guess I know them by melody but I have no idea who who did a lot of them no that happens to me all the time like someone will like i don't know i'll find out like a song is a taylor swift song or something i'm like oh i heard that song at bar i didn't know it was taylor swift like i have, I have no idea what i'm yeah. actually listening to but i hear the music all over the place yeah and i feel like in the early 2000s that was harder it was harder not to to know and again maybe that's just like where we were in terms of of you know our ages at the time but i do think also there's a lot to be said about the fact that like technology you know as you said like you're you were in the car back then you listened to the radio and you know i shit like i don't even think our family had a cd deck in our car until i was like in high school yeah mm-hmm. 
Like, like you just, if you want to listen to music, listen to the radio because we weren't going to play anything else. And now like you have, you know, portable Bluetooth, like stereos. And, you know, even if you want to listen to the radio, a lot of cars have like Sirius and satellite mm -hmm. radio that you can get super niche in terms of what you're listening to. So it's a lot easier to avoid quote unquote pop music yep. if you want to. Yeah, for sure. And also I don't think that you can, I mean... MTV is like super not a big deal now, but I don't think you can discount back then, like late 90s, early 2000s, like oh yeah. People watched MTV all the time and what MTV was showing was music videos. Absolutely. So that's where a lot of people, especially young people, would get exposed to pop music and then seek it out elsewhere, but now you don't have kind of that like centralized thing that everyone is watching like you would get home from school and you would watch um total request live or whatever it was like you would yeah, TRL. Like, uh, yeah oh, like everyone was watching this together at the same time so we were all hearing the same pop music getting exposed to it at the same time nothing like that exists now yeah yeah i mean it's it's funny just like because i know 17 years seems a while, but it's really not that, not that long. long. I mean, no. I, I still remember 2003 vividly, and I'm sure you do too. And it's just wild how, you know, how much kind of the, even just something as, as niche as the music world, like it has changed dramatically. Big time. So I guess the, the last thing is we, we have a couple other points I wanted to talk through, but we kind of like in a roundabout sort of way ended up talking through them anyway. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about is just, uh, and this will probably be like a recurring feature uh, for uh, for other stuff. Um, this is a pretty long album. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's 16 songs, 17 the one you listened to because you had that Elevator Up song that I wasn't as familiar with. Um, so it's long and quite a lot it's not like a super long from a time standpoint like it's about an hour yeah about an hour um but from a pure like volume of track standpoint it's a very long album so i'm curious like if you were going to cut a song like or or songs you cut a couple which ones would you cut so for me upon my second and third listenings um the two that i found myself wanting to skip were um haley's waitress and fire island Okay. They just, I don't know if it's because they're both kind of on the slow side um, that they didn't grab me, but something about them, like, just didn't grab me. And if they weren't on the album, I don't know if it would have suffered for it. Yeah. No, I, I, I can buy that. And I don't think either of those songs are, like, anywhere near my favorite. Yeah. Um, Fire Island was definitely one that, like, when I was a kid, I, I skipped every time. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. Like, I do think, I do think they both have, like, I think they both have value in terms of the theme. Mm -hmm. So that, that's when it gets harder when you're like, do I cut this song even though I think it does like, I don't love it, but I think it does help with like them presenting the theme because like, I think the the, the funny thing about Haley's Waitress that I do actually like is that it's the whole the whole song. And they, they, they did this a couple other times, maybe not on this album, but on other albums where they would like, they would basically write about something so utterly mundane and blow it up to like ridiculously important proportions and kind of for comedic effect. And that's sort of what this song is. It's yeah. like the whole song is basically about waiting for a cup of coffee. And then like the chorus is this gigantic chorus about being so happy that Haley's waitress shows up with a cup of coffee. <laughs> and there's like an element of just like of comedy to that, yeah. that I like that said, like I'm not a huge fan of the song, but I do think it kind of fits with the theme and that like, 
you know, I think one of the underlying themes here, aside from just that, you know, work sucks and that whole critique, is just this idea of, like, trying to find those little aspects of, like, something pure in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's almost, like, I, I, I like the idea of, like, just getting that damn cup of coffee. <laughs> that, like, that's one of those moments that, like, in the middle of all the shit, getting that cup of coffee from Haley's waitress, like, that is actually one of the few great moments of the workday for this this guy who hates pretty much everything else about his life. So it, it's interesting, like, when you look at it from a thematic perspective, that, like, I don't necessarily want to cut that song, even though I don't love it, in the sense of, like, I would never put it on a playlist. Mm -hmm. And then Fire Island's kind of the same way, where it's, like, reminiscing about being a kid. And, you know, the, the parents are gone, and we're having this big party, and it's, like, back when things were less, you know... We're less demanding yeah. and less complicated. And, like, I really don't like that song, but I, I, I like that it's there. No, um, you're right. So that's, like... And, and, like, I don't think you're wrong, but it's just it, it's just kind of a, an interesting aside. The, the one song that I always skip, um, and I, I've never enjoyed, uh, is the, the country song, When They Do oh, Hung Up On You. That is kind I'm, of a weird, I'm, like, incongruous little blip that happens there. Yeah, like, they just out of nowhere decide they're going to do a country yeah. song. And... Like, I'm not a big country music fan to begin with, but I think, like, one of the reasons why I always cut that is because I just never felt like it fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see I think that. it does It does kind of fit thematically, if you look at the lyrics, but, like, just musically, it's just very out of place. It and is. that would be the song, if I was going to cut, that I would cut. That makes perfect sense. I didn't hate it. I just picked the songs that I disliked the most. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, and, and, like, in fairness... Like, I think Hung Up On You is probably the song I dislike the most as well. Mm -hmm. But that's just my personal bias and that I'm not a big country music fan. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's probably a perfectly well-done country music song. It's just that's not, like, my style of, of preference. Got it. Yeah, I don't typically love it either. Cool. Well, I think uh, I think that pretty much does it. Kelly, do you have any other thoughts you wanted to... Uh... To, to let out on this album before we uh, we call it a day? No, but I am super pumped about this podcast, Charlie. This is a really good idea, and I really have fun doing it, so I'm glad that you're doing it. Other stuff is good. Yeah. Other stuff is good. <laughs> it, can, it can be good. Other stuff isn't always good, good yeah. but it can be good. <laughs> that, that should be our tagline. Other stuff. It can be good. It's not always good. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, from, uh, from myself and Kelly, thank you to all the Broad Street Hockey Radio listeners that uh, tuned in for this one. We'll, we'll be back next week. Kelly will, I guess, be back in, uh, in two weeks. Yay. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again about a music, uh, an album and a, and a movie. Cool. Thanks, Charlie.